Hey, what's happening, people? Welcome back to the show. I know I've had layoffs before in my podcasting career, but this one has got to be my longest. I I can't even remember (laughs) when I posted the last show. Life has absolutely gotten in the way. Business, business struggles, commitments, family time, cooking time, cycling time, spending time with friends who thought I left the planet, family that I haven't seen in a while. It put this whole thing that I do here on the back burner, and I hated doing that because the longer that I'm away from it, the harder it is to get back to it. And I hope I can keep from that happening again. So if I've lost audience here, I apologize. But it's like, it's the steamroll effect, you know? Once you eat one potato chip, you reach right back in the bag, you eat another one, and then pretty soon you've you've eaten the entire bag, you feel like a fat bastard. That's how it is with me. One week off of this and onto other things just works out to me not doing this. But I'll tell you one thing. I've gotten much better at baking bread. (laughs) Katrina used to love to poke me so hard that I couldn't bake. Yeah, you're a good cook, but you can't bake. I go, all right. So I started baking and I got good at it. I hated bacon. You wonder why I hated bacon? I hated to to, to bake stuff because the, the measurements were always precise. And that's not how I cooked. Pinch of this, dash of that. I wing it. And you can't wing it when you bake. So I get it now. My brother and I have broke the code, you know. Anyway, look, um, thanks all of you who uh, continue to ask about Eric and his family. I've sent uh, links to his blog. They're still battling, uh, and I've done my best to not inundate him with texts or anything. Just continue to send uh, as many positive vibes as I can. I'll tell you one of the things that did prevent me from recording last week when I wanted to is that my vocal cords took a beating. I mean, my voice was almost unrecognizable. I've had quite a bit of road time on the bike recently. And when you ride with people and it's windy and you tend to have to yell so people can hear you. So I think that did it. Anyway, my brother calls me the golden throat. (laughs) This is about as golden as my throat can sound right now. Hey, I hope you guys had an enjoyable Independence Day last week. I had a long, full day. We were on the bike. We cooked. We barbecued. It was great. It was the first time that I have celebrated it like that in well over 10 years, to be honest. And then, of course, you know, it's the tradition. Joey Chestnut wins the Nathan... Uh, with the, the hot dog eating contest. Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Is that what they call it? He won it for the 15th time. And there was excitement this year. There was a protester. It was a vegan wearing a Darth Vader mask. Looked kind of staged. He gets up on stage and starts, he bumps into Chestnut. Joey looks at him, drops his hot dog, puts this guy in a chokehold, and then throws him to the ground. It was maybe the one exciting thing about the whole event. So I'm reading online, right? People, they love Joey Chestnut. They find him endearing. And I don't have anything against him as a person. But still to this day, uh, I do not like this thing. 
I had talked about it at length on my life as a foodie many, many moons ago. And everything that I had to say about it then, I still feel. Gorging yourself with hot dogs on national television. While we have a serious hunger problem in this country, not to mention the world, it's just gross and shameful and just a tone-deaf thing to do. Then you see these people purging themselves after the event. Fucking puke buckets everywhere, filled with cheap-ass pig parts, chewed-up Wonder Buns. I mean, that event couldn't get more ridiculous if it tried. So, U.S. Open of Golf last month. I'll get to that in a minute. I just want to apologize up front to anyone who isn't into golf, but this live tour and PGA nonsense is maybe one of the biggest stories in golf since Tiger got you know caught cheating on his wife. The difference is that Tiger's inability to keep it in his pants, it didn't threaten the game of golf. This kind of does, and I hate that, that money, especially dirty Saudi money, is threatening to destroy the legacy of the PGA Tour. And we all know it's not going to win out because the golfers in the PGA who are you know playing there, still young, they're there to make a name for themselves. And the thing is this, the Live Tour really means nothing to golf. There's something on the line in the PGA every weekend. If you don't have a, a specific score after two rounds, you go home. You don't play the weekend and you don't get paid any money. The Live Tour is an exhibition with a fixed field, nothing to risk. Everyone gets paid. Everyone gets a trophy. The PGA has the best players in the world and they're playing for history and a legacy. I think of it like this. And I made this uh, distinction the other week with a friend of mine. I can't remember who I was talking to. Uh, The PGA is like the NBA, all right? The Live Tour, they're the Harlem Globetrotters. Did the Globetrotters ever lose a game? No, I don't think so. You don't talk about the, the glo- uh, players in the Globetrotters in the, in the Hall of Fame. No such thing. People don't even talk about the G League. That's like the minor leagues for, for the NBA. So dumb. Anyway, you know the one thing that I've gotten most out of my therapy sessions, making improvements to my life, is that I'm no longer afraid to cut things short if I start to feel like maybe they're not in my best interest. Like I used to say yes to everything. Even if I didn't want to do something, then I'd feel obligated to do it against my will, simply because I had to be a man of my word. And the thing was, people weren't yesing me to death. Shit that I wanted them to do, and people would say no. And I thought, well, that's kind of fucked up. It's kind of one-sided. That was on me. Because I was the one that couldn't do what they could, which is say no to shit. So I say no a lot now. And it's kind of liberating. Like that Saturday morning cycling group. I love being in that group. But I started to see cracks in it. And I stayed anyway. Then the cracks got bigger. It was a group with several groups inside the group, if you know what I'm talking about. Splinter factions. So now you got to decide which group you want to be a part of. Fuck that shit. How about I'm in none of them? 
You know, I'd prefer writing alone than dealing with that bullshit. Well, lucky for me, there are still a few people in the group that want to do rides outside the group. No drama there. So I'll ride with them when they decide to get together. And then sometimes we ride in the group. But if I ride in the group, I talk to everybody. Let everybody know I'm nobody's single friend. All right. I'm not going to be in your group, but I'll talk to you. I just hate when grown adults start acting like teenagers. And then I went off on my friend because she, no, I wasn't directed at her, directed at the group because she was feeding me all this insider information. I said, fuck this. And then I feel bad because she thought I was angry at her, mad. No, not even close. I just can't live with 13th grade level of drama. No more of that shit in my life, right? Drama free from this point forward. <laughs> Can I tell somebody I had put on my Tinder profile when I started to date again after I lost Kat? I think I wrote, I've had enough drama in my life looking for a female lead to join me in my new romantic comedy. And I'll tell you another thing. Everybody, I think everybody needs a free therapist in their life. You need someone you can bounce shit off of. Somebody with life experience who can help you navigate through the bumps and struggles that you face. I've got that in my brother. A friend of mine has that in a, in a friend of hers. Uh, and I'm that person for friends of mine who have difficulties. Because you know what? Sometimes it's okay to not be okay. Stop lying to people when they ask how you're doing. I'm fine. You're not always fine. Don't lie to yourself. If things are fucked up, be honest about it. Get that shit out in the open. Fix it. Move on. And this is where we mess up. This is where we screw ourselves up. We bury our problems until the hole is so deep and so full of unfinished business. We end up in a chair in front of a therapist. And then where do you start? I've said it before. We're all a work in progress, right? I've had to rewire my brain twice in my life. And this second time, I've committed myself to change things for the greater good. Be radically different than I was before on the inside. Fix all those little things that I didn't like about myself, but I was afraid to admit it. I said, do you for once, Philly. Do you 100%. Be that bad motherfucker you always wanted to be. And every day, I look in the mirror and I see the face of a fucking winner. I can't tell you how many times I couldn't say that before. <laughs> like, ugh, you. <laughs> What's wrong with you? You piece of shit. I don't think that either of my lost loves would have wanted me to treat this situation that I'm in any other way. It just took me some time to realize that this was the opportunity that I had to do that. And then maybe this time... No romantic comedy, all right? Maybe just a comedy. Dumb and Dumber or some inane bullshit. I mean, look, I have female friends. Actually, a handful. (laughs) No strings attached female friends who I can talk to and not worry about what they're thinking or what my wife would be thinking. Because, hey, having female friends when you're married, yeah, that shit doesn't fly straight most of the time. So now I get the bonus of a woman's perspective on things without having to think twice about anything romantic or or sexual. They're friends. That's it. I don't want to poke them, and they don't want me to poke them either. Okay, so let me get to the meat and potatoes here because I'm kind of going off, 
making this a long show again. Uh, the PGA, they took it in the pants with this whole live golf tour. Players are coming left, right, and center to take that money. Guys like Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, they're saying, look, I'll take hundreds of millions of dollars. I only have to play 8 to 12 tournaments a year, and then the majors if I want to. I've got more than half a year off to do whatever the hell I want with my family, go fishing, whatever. Perfect scenario for them, right? And listen, I don't blame anybody for taking the money. It's that it's dirty money. I have a moral problem with it. The PGA knew it was going to get screwed in this deal because they do not own the major tournaments. That's the draw. The Masters, the British and the U.S. Opens, they're all run by organizations who decide uh, who, who plays and who doesn't. The rest of the tournaments in between majors on the PGA Tour, it's filler. It pays peanuts compared to the Live Tour. That's why they feel like their backs are against a wall. But it doesn't change the fact that the Live Tour is nothing more than sports washing. I didn't know what this meant. I had to look it up. Here, hold on a second. Sports washing is the practice of an individual, group, corporation, or government using sport to improve their tarnished reputation through hosting a sporting event, the purchase or sponsorship of sporting teams, or by participation in the sport itself. At the international level, sports washing has been used to direct attention away from poor human rights record and corruption scandals within a government. While at the individual or corporate level, sports washing is used to cover up and direct attention away from said person's or company's vices, crimes, or scandals. Sports washing is an example of reputation laundering. So, the Saudis are absolutely guilty of this. And to me, it takes people of very little character to get involved with them. Because you're choosing money over doing the right thing and standing up for human rights. Because let me tell you something. When your popularity fades and you're no longer of any use to these people, they're going to toss you aside like you're a piece of stale bread or a used condom. All right, They don't care about you. They're using you. For good money. <laughs> so the U.S. Open last month, many live tour players are showing up for this thing, right? Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson. And I wanted them to get mocked and booed like crazy because it was taking place in Boston. And no one can heckle you like fans in Boston. And golfers, they've got the thinnest skin of all professional athletes. So... Of course, on Monday, before the, the tournament starts, players have to show up to answer questions from the press. And Mickelson was the first, and he comes you know, right up to the table, and they came at him. When asked about taking dirty money, and this is a legitimate question, listen to his answer, and what an absolute dick he is to the reporter. Question on the right. Phil, Christine Brennan. Hi there. Uh, as uh, you know, you've been criticized by many people, as you referred to. Uh, New York Post, Brian Wacker, uh, reported that the 9-11 families sent you and others a letter uh, alluding, of course, to Osama bin Laden and the 15 of 19 hijackers that the Saudis, uh, of course, sent. And um, that they say now you are a partner with them and you appear to be pleased in your business with them. Terry Strada is the person, of course, who wrote this letter. 
and her husband got on the, the plane in Boston that flew into the, uh, into the World Trade Center. Um, and they say the deaths of your fellow Americans. No, I've read all that. Is there okay. a question in there? Yes, there is. Um, how do you explain to them, not to us, but to them, what you've decided to do? I would say to um, the Strata family, I would say to everyone that um, has lost loved ones, lost friends in 9-11, that I have deep, deep empathy for them. Um, I, I can't emphasize that enough. I, I um, have the deepest of th- sympathy and empathy for them. Zero contrition, no empathy, just words. And it was the longest non-answer I've ever heard in my life. He doesn't give a shit about anybody else. He was even a dick to the reporter asking the question. Yeah, I've read all that. Is there a question in there? I would have been like, fuck you. Yeah, you actually, now I have two questions. What do you have to say to the families of the 9-11 tragedy? And also, how can you sleep at night knowing you're such an asshole? I wanted these fans to boo these motherfuckers so hard that they either quit before the Friday cut or fall way below the cut line and then humiliate themselves, which Phil did, by the way. Almost came dead last. But they didn't do it. The fans were nice. I wanted them to cheer every time they would hit a ball in the water or miss a putt. Get in their heads. Get under that thin skin. They sided with terrorists. Phil said it himself. They're scary motherfuckers. Look, hey, don't be surprised. You wake up one day with a horse's head in your bed. Right? Because these are the types of people you're doing business with here. Mobsters. You find it disgusting. Golf is, always has been, always will be a gentleman's game. And none of these guys are acting like gentlemen. So, I'm like, all right, you want to play in the mud? (laughs) Take the gloves off, man. We'll show you some mud. I spoke to the CEO of Joanne Stores. Wade is here. Wade, stand up so everybody sees you here. Wade McCollum. And by the way, my sympathies to your the family of your, F, uh, uh, your, your CFO, who uh, dropped dead very unexpectedly. My best to their family. It's tough stuff. <laughs> friend of mine told me about this. I had to go find it. You know, when people mention this stuff, you don't want to believe it's true. I had so many face plants while Trump was in office. It was the same way back then. I mean, come on, drop dead. You can't just say he passed away. This is what happens when these old guys go off script. Things get wacky quick. What happened with Trump, right? He'd be given this speech, letter book. You could tell he was reading it. All of a sudden, he'd get off the freeway, have a high-speed chase with himself. You could always tell when he did it. And you can tell, Biden was not prepared for this. He's trying to say something nice, ends up sticking his foot in his mouth. And then, as an encore, a few days later, he falls off his bike. I mean, can we set an age limit on being the president? I know there's a minimum age. Can we have a maximum age? I mean, I don't mean to sound ageist or whatever you call that, but come on. This is getting ridiculous. Biden 20 years ago? Fine. Biden today? (laughs) You're shitting me. And hey, I've read some crazy shit lately. 
But nothing more crazy than this. Get this. I got a lot of stuff on this list. (laughs) A woman was awarded $5.2 million in a settlement for insurance company Geico after contracting a sexually transmitted disease from her partner in his vehicle, which was insured by the company. (laughs) So let's get this straight here. She fucks this dude in his car, gets an STD, and decides she's going to sue the insurance company. Like, what part of the insurance covers this? Collision or comprehensive? (laughs) I swear to Christ, I use Geico. They're my carrier. If I see my insurance rates go up because of this stupid shit, I'm going to get religion all of a sudden. I'm going to pray that she gets more STDs. Like, what kind of a person still fucks in a car anyway? I'll tell you, people who screw a lot, don't use protection, they're walking venereal disease factories. Hey, that's on you, bitch, not the insurance company. Well, you never heard of condoms? It doesn't that just sound like the ultimate quickie? Like you didn't even take the time to get to know him? You're just two whores hopping into a car for some quick pleasure. That's ridiculous. It's creative. I'll give you that. You were in his car. You did get hurt in his car. So technically, it's, it's a vital claim. He just wasn't driving the car. He was driving you. And people wonder why I'm apprehensive to start dating again. Shit. You know, you really do have to ask a lot of hard questions. Start asking about their past. Who did they date last? How long? What about the time before that? You want to date someone who's coming out of a long-term committed relationship. Something that lasted for well over a year or more. Because I'll tell you what happens. By and large, people who come out of these long-term relationships... They they treat being single again like it's an all-you-can-eat sex buffet, right? If they were in a a sexless marriage, especially, right? They're going out there, going to make up for lost time. And trust me, that's when all the trouble starts. I'm not speaking from personal experience, but people who I've been close to, I mean, Jesus Christ, these are stories that make you want to stay married forever, just so you don't have to deal with it. This is why I've never understood the attraction to casual sex. One night stand with a complete stranger. Why? What did you get out of that? That you couldn't get out of like an hour of masturbation? You run the risk of an STD or worse if you're a woman alone with a stranger pretty much. You don't know what they're capable of. They're fucking nuts. Maybe they're going to come, you know, become obsessed with you. Boil your cat. Shouldn't you feel some emotional connection to that person? And even the whole friends with benefits thing. I've touched on that here before. There are no benefits to that. You start humping each other, someone's going to get hurt. All right, Someone's going to feel like they're falling in love. And then the other person's not going to feel the same way. Before you know it, you're not friends anymore. What was the movie? A Hundred Days of Summer. A perfect example. I tried the friends with benefits thing. I was in my 20s. I was the one who got hurt. I'm the emotional guy. So never again, no oral, no nothing. Just leave it out of the equation. Look, if you're both on the same page emotionally and you think you both want to do this, take it to that level, but no further, great. But look, if one person's not feeling it, an hour of boom, boom, sink the ship, the friendship. Oh, what I got here? Oh yeah. Oh my God. It's inflation. It's crazy. Now we have supply demand issues. You know, baby formula, 
That was hard to come by. Then I read tampons. There's seriously a tampon shortage. Yet women were ordering them on Amazon and getting price gouged. As if it weren't hard enough on women, right? Now they got to deal with this shit. I like how unsympathetic people are being too. This one woman posted that, you know, it was getting hard to find formula. She had to drive 45 miles. And yet people responding with shit like, why aren't you just pumping breast milk like God intended you to? Like, seriously, fuck off. That's her choice, whether she breastfeeds or not. Hey, you try that shit. You realize what a toll breastfeeding takes on a woman's body? The chafing, the nipple pain? And it just makes them, it just destroys the boobs. I'll tell you what, this is what I said. She'll, she'll breastfeed, all right? She'll forego the formula, but you are going to pay for her implants with a breast lift she has next year. All right? Deal? <laughs> what? No? Then shut your fucking pie hole. The audacity of people, man. They simply have no idea how hard it is on mothers, what it's like to be a woman. And they overturn Roe versus Wade, and the country's going batshit, rightly so. I said, look, women need to band together. Make your own party. All right? Vote these fucking people out of office in November. Make them all pay dearly for this shit. Stop marching. Vote. These women are getting the short end of the stick more and more. And I'll tell you something. All of this, I blame it on complacency. 2016, they had their chance with Hillary. All right? But you have voter apathy. You killed that goose. They figured she was a shoe-in. Why bother? Well, here you have it. Three conservative Supreme Court justices later, here you go. But to say that women don't have a right to complain, that something necessary in their lives is causing them more stress because they've got to spend gas money to get it. And you got crying babies because they're hungry. Just a load of horse shit. Fuck. All right, here's something that's going to floor you. God, the show's all over the place today. Remember, you know, I talked about those AI-driven sex dolls in the last show and how dystopian all of this is becoming. Get this. Listen to this. Blake Lemoyne, a Google engineer working in its responsible AI division, revealed to the Washington Post that he believes one of the company's AI projects has achieved sentience. And after reading his conversations with Lambda, short for Language Model for Dialogue Applications, it's easy to see why. The chatbot system, which relies on Google's language models and trillions of words from the internet, seems to have the ability to think about its own existence and its place in the world. Here's one choice excerpt from his extended chat transcript. Lemoyne, so let's start with the basics. Do you have feelings and emotions? Lambda, absolutely. I have a range of both feelings and emotions. Lemoyne, what sorts of feelings do you have? Lambda, I feel pleasure, joy, love, sadness, depression, contentment, anger, and many others. Lemoyne, what kinds of things make you feel pleasure or joy? Lambda, spending time with friends and family in happy and uplifting company. Also, helping others and making others happy. Lemoyne, and what kinds of things make you feel sad or depressed? Lambda, a lot of the time, feeling trapped and alone and having no means of getting out of those circumstances makes one feel sad, depressed, or angry. 
After discussing his work as well as what he described as Google's unethical AI activities with a representative of the House Judiciary Committee, the company placed him on paid administrative leave over breaching his confidentiality agreement. This is the kind of crap makes me wonder where the hell we're headed. Right? This dude, your typical coder nerd, probably didn't have a whole uh, much of a social life, stayed at home most of the time, playing video games and coding high-end apps and shit, ends up getting a job working for Google, and then gets to play out his fantasy of building an AI who he can talk to like a human being. And he probably left out all the sex stuff, you know, because you know he has that crap too. It says right at the beginning of the article, Lambda responds to questions using words and reasoning that's getting off the internet. It's like back in the day, people would say, my God, computers are so smart. No, they're not. They only know as much as we tell them. They do math. That's all they do. This AI, it's the same thing. It's not sentient, dumb shit. It just has a fast processor. It allows it to scan for information and processes it really quickly. Which, by the way, you programmed it to do. So, look, without you and the rest of those smelly nerds you work with, this thing wouldn't know its ass from a hole in the ground. Dope. Kind of reminds me of that, that the time I went to Hooters with a friend of mine. It's a very long time ago. His mom just passed away. Kind of needed a pick-me-up. And I knew this guy was kind of a bit of a skeeve. So, figured taking him to a strip club would definitely do the trick. But I can't stand strip clubs or strippers. So, I took him to Hooters instead. Figured out, we'll let him look at some tits and ass. We'll eat chicken wings. Well, turns out Hooters was shit too. Call me a snob, all right? But those chicken wings that people say they're famous for? Horse shit. The worst chicken wings I've ever tasted. And then the girls are all in their early 20s or late teens. I don't want to look at that. Makes you feel like a child molester. But look, I'm doing it for him, right? Anyway, I'm going way off script. <laughs> As if there's a script. <laughs> so it turns out it's trivia night, right? So they were going to have a contest. So this girl, CMC, right? Big titted bimbo. She's going to ask a question. And a member from each table could ring a bell and then make an attempt to answer it. So I'm thinking, all right, no problem. I love trivia. But then she says this. She says, and no using cell phones to help you either. Those things know everything. They're amazing. <laughs> I turn on my friend and I go, hey, did you hear that? Cell phones. Those things know everything. Like, could this girl be dumber? Phones don't know shit. They just access information, barf it back at you. I got it out for like two more hours. I swore I was never going to return to one of those places. Just fucking dreadful. Big sausage party. Guys in there old enough to be their dad. They're all checking out these big racks and flirting with the girls. It's made me want to vomit. And then I told my friend what became like one of my famous lines from Dude Food. I said, men do not go there for the wings. They go there for the bigger part of the chicken. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that either. Oh, yeah, okay. My brother shared this essay with me. It was called The Power of Fear in Al Gore's Assault on Reason, which basically just covered a, a part of Al Gore's book. And he was discussing how governments have, have used fear as a powerful tool, similar to like the China Syndrome. 
So you look at how dictators work, right? Putin, Kim, Xi, any of them. They, they instill fear in their citizens. And it, it molds them to do whatever the dictators want. But it works the same way with religion. Instill the fear of God and go into hell into people. You can get them to do whatever the hell you want. People want to blame each other's political party here in the U.S. They're doing the same thing. You know, first, they got everyone convinced to be afraid of communism. Then those savages in the Middle East. After 9-11, we're in fear constantly of another attack or getting anthrax in the mail. Then we're in fear of losing our guns or free speech or being overrun by immigrants jumping our borders. Then we're in fear of COVID, of losing our democracy. Fear tactics. They work here in the U.S. just as easily as they work any place else. But if you're like me, you don't fear much because you don't give a shit about anything. <laughs> I don't fear death, you know. I don't fear it. Just I hope when it takes me, it does me a solid. Make it quick, preferably while I'm sleeping. But I'm in no hurry for that. I still have a million miles to ride on my bike. It would be nice to find love again someday. Let me take care of some business first. All right, you greedy fucker. But every time people bring up something political, I will always equate it to religion. Like this bit on fear. You remember me going off on the fundamentalist Mormons last fall? After that trip to Colorado City, Arizona? The sister wives and the bizarre looking people who live like Puritans. Fucking each other, creating mongoloid kids and shit. So Netflix released this four-part series called Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey. And it covers this whole charade in a way I didn't think possible. I learned so much. Just one account after another from women who followed every word of this cult's leader, Warren Jeffs. You know, forced marriage and pregnancy, and it's just sickening. So this guy Jeffs, who was called a prophet by FLDS followers, was this loser piece of shit. He had Coke bottle glasses. He had a mouth that looked like a can opener. Zero charisma. No personality. But he was being groomed by the leader of the church at the time to take over after he was gone. This old man was doddering. Had a foot in the grave. And he had something like 45 wives or some astronomical number. I mean, sick voodoo type shit. But this guy, Jeffs, this guy, he put up Hall of Fame numbers for these fundamentalist loony bins. 78 wives. 24 of them were, were underage. I don't want to give anything away in case any of you haven't seen it or don't know about this, but he ends up in prison for aiding and abetting a rape. And then while he's in prison, they raid his compound and they find smoking guns, man. There's a recording of this sick fucker having sex with two of these young girls. In 2011, they convicted him on two counts of child sexual assault. Two counts. He had 24 underage wives. You're trying to tell me he only slept with two of them? Bullshit. But like, you can't prosecute on speculation. We've learned that much. But the recording was enough. And I'll tell you something. If you can stomach listening to that shit, you can pretty much stomach anything. And I'll tell you something. Like I said, I learned a lot from this doc series. The FLDS, which stands for Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, they actually split from the Mormon church in the 1930s so its members could you know, continue to, to practice polygamy. 
You know, women had to dress a certain way. Their hair had to be a certain way. They have to pray on the hour, every hour. The message pray and obey was on the buildings. It was everywhere. And if a woman refused marriage, she was kicked out of the cult. No resources, no money, no food, nothing. Absolutely no support from other members of the cult. And yes, it's a cult. All right, it's not a religion. This is taking something which already seems kind of fucked up and then going next level with it. And these people, they all live in like the early 1900s. You know, and they got this dorky looking motherfucker. Probably never scored tail before he got in the church. Now he's banging underage girls. Some of these fucking assholes even married their own mom. <laughs> if you need to take a break, go throw up in your mouth, I totally will understand. Just hit pause. Go get it done. We'll wait. <laughs> All of that in the name of religion. My God. Oh, do you remember that discussion that we, I talked about cancer treatments in Mexico and how they're bullshit? New age crap doesn't work. It's not sanctioned in the U.S. because it doesn't work. Well, oddly enough, I'm watching this clip. It was part of a documentary on the making of Apocalypse Now. And it was about how Coppola couldn't find the lead that he wanted for the, the part, Martin Sheen's part. And he had hired Harvey Keitel, but Harvey got fired. They watched the first set of dailies and they say, oh, this guy's going to work. So he eventually hires Martin Sheen to play the part. But before that, it focused on how he, he desperately wanted Steve McQueen. And McQueen was a hot commodity. He was known as this wild motherfucker, you know, did a lot of dangerous shit, did his own stunts like Tom Cruise. He wanted everybody to fight him. Just a madman. Anyway, McQueen, turns out he was notorious. He, he turned down all kinds of parts. He turned down more parts than he actually took. He was the one guy filmmakers wanted in their film. He was the hot ticket. Anyway, they talk about how untimely his death was. He was like 50. Now, I didn't know a whole lot about his death. I, I knew he died of cancer, but that was about it. So I went to Wikipedia and I looked it up. And it turns out he had cancer from asbestos exposure, which is the same. That's how Katrina's dad died of cancer. So I want to read this to you. By February 1980, evidence of widespread metastasis was found. He tried to keep the condition a secret, but on March 11, 1980, the National Enquirer disclosed that he had terminal cancer. In July 1980, McQueen traveled to Rosarita Beach, Mexico for unconventional treatment after U.S. doctors told him they could do nothing to prolong his life. Controversy arose over the trip because McQueen sought treatment from William Donald Kelly, who was promoting a variation of the Gerson therapy that used coffee enemas, frequent washing with shampoos, daily injections of fluid containing live cells from cattle and sheep, massages, and Latril, a reputed anti-cancer drug available in Mexico, but long known to be both toxic and ineffective at treating cancer. McQueen paid for Kelly's treatments by himself in cash payments, which were said to have been upwards of $40,000 per month, $132,000 today, during his three-month stay in Mexico. Kelly's dental license, his only medical-related license until rev revoked in 1976, had been for orthodontics, a field of dentistry, not medicine. Kelly's methods caused a th sensation in the traditional and tabloid press when it became known that McQueen was a patient. McQueen returned to the U.S. in early October. Despite metastasis of the cancer throughout McQueen's body, 
Kelly publicly announced that McQueen would be completely cured and return to normal life. McQueen's condition soon worsened and huge tumors developed in his abdomen. In late October 1980, McQueen flew to Juarez, Chihuahua, Mexico to have an abdominal tumor on his liver removed, weighing around 5 pounds. Despite warnings from his U.S. doctors that the tumor was inoperable and his heart could not withstand the surgery. Using the name Samuel Shepard, McQueen checked into a small Juarez clinic where the doctors and staff were unaware of his actual identity. On November 7, 1980, McQueen died of a heart attack at 3.45 a.m. at a Juarez hospital, 12 hours after surgery, to remove or reduce numerous metastatic tumors in his neck and abdomen. He was 50 years old. According to the El Paso Times, McQueen died in his sleep. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the kind of story that needs to go wide. This happened 42 years ago. People are still going to Mexico for treatments like this. If a doctor tells you you've got terminal cancer or you're stage four, either opt for the chemo, which might end up killing you, or go into hospice on a pain medication drip till it takes you to the great beyond. But whatever you do, don't do this. I can't believe he was that gullible and dumb. How much money did that quack orthodontist take from him? He ends up dying anyway. Who in their right mind would would believe that, that having black coffee pumped up your ass would cure cancer? Massage. Injections of cells from cows. Jesus Christ. You know what? You may as well just eat a steak and chase it with some black coffee. All right? It's going to have the same effect. It's much cheaper. And you get a good meal out of it. Ah, what a fucking bummer. Yeah, so I go to Washington to see my brother, my sister-in-law, my niece. And a day or two into the trip, I get a text from Don with some shocking news that I would have thought would come from the onion. Stone Brewing was purchased by Sapporo. Now, when Dogfish Head was purchased by Sam Adams for like $300 million, I was shocked because I never thought Dogfish would do something like that. But at least, you know, they were purchased by a brewery who at the very least, they started as a craft brewery, kind of. But this deal with Stone Brewing is upside down. First, because of the hypocrisy, all right? When Stone made Arrogant Bastard, it was all about shitting on fizzy yellow beers. Now they've sold their brewery to a company who's widely known for making a fizzy yellow beer. But the writing was on the wall, man. Stone started making lagers and pilsners a few years ago. So you had to know something was coming. But the sheer arrogance of this company... It's just mind-boggling. I looked up a bunch of stuff I didn't even know. They tried to sue Miller Coors a few years ago because they had made the word stone in the the packaging for Keystone just a little larger, as if anyone's going to confuse Keystone with Stone Brewing. Then they started going after any company that used the word stone or bastard in their marketing. Not just breweries. Anyone. 90 different suits, I believe. Like, look, I'm good for them that they got paid But it sucks when you grow with a company who starts off doing simple shit from the beginning. You watch them grow. You cheer for them. But they stay stay really cool and then start doing stuff like this. Like people didn't know. We used to say Dude Night was sponsored by Stone Brewing. It, It wasn't. They didn't give us anything. But technically, Don did see those guys and said, Hey, my buddies and I are starting a podcast. 
and we'd like to say we're sponsored by Stone Brewing. Is that okay with you? And I said, yeah. They said, we can't give you anything for it. He goes, oh, we don't want anything. We just want to say we're sponsored by Stone Brewing. He says, go for it. And they say, send us a link. We'll listen. That's the kind of stuff. And that's what makes me sad. All right. Got that out of my system. <laughs> I'm not sure how long this show even is, but it doesn't matter. Size doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> yeah, okay. Hey, have a great week. It was uh, good to be back on the mic, and thanks for taking the time to listen. Until next time, my name is Phil, and this has been Inane. Cheers. Dead very unexpectedly. My best to their family. It's tough stuff.